Hello and welcome to another episode of Drone Source, sponsored by Elsight. I'm Ben Gross, and I'd like to thank you for joining me and welcome you to our podcast. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Drone Source. We took a bit of a break last week. This week, I'm joined by Gareth Block from Third Insight. Hi, Gareth. Hey, Ben. How are you? Excellent. So why don't we start off? Tell me a little bit about yourselves and tell me a bit about Third Insight. Uh, so my name is Gareth Block. Um, I've got a, a, a PhD in engineering and uh, a deep love of artificial intelligence and computer vision. About six years ago, we started Third Insight. Uh, after uh, a couple of decades thinking about uh, how do autonomous systems uh, look out at the world and make decisions on their own? Uh, how do they partner with humans uh, in a trustworthy way? Um, I ran a couple of uh, private equity funded companies before this, uh, took some money off the table and started this company in 2016. Uh, and ever since we've had a, a very nice run of uh, Department of Defense projects that we'll talk about. Great. So how about we dive right in? Why don't you let's start off with maybe the Cliff Notes version of what Third Insights actually does. What does your system do? Uh, great. Well, um, as I mentioned, you know, our goal is to build trustworthy autonomous systems. So what we've built out is a software stack uh, that runs on board autonomous systems. Uh, it's an embedded software framework, and it runs between the autopilot and a more traditional mission planner. So it sits on top of, for example, PX4 or RG Pilot or some of the commercial vendors uh, and allows mission planners, uh, ground control and so forth, to set up global missions for their drones uh, to execute. But when something interesting happens on the ground or when the drones are navigating and, and coming on to obstacles or places where local decision making needs to take place, the software on board the drone takes over executes those local missions, uh, and then re-engages the global mission afterwards. So we're really building out a, a decentralized, so onboard embedded solution that allows these drones to go from master-slave relationships with ground control to much more uh, living at the edge, making decisions in real time. Okay, I get it. So you've created Skynet. So our goal has been to, to imagine what these decentralized agents would look like and what kind of technology would have to be on board. We were funded initially by uh, Department of Homeland Security in 2016, 17, 18, uh, and some 19. And a lot of that was uh, how would first responders use drones when they go in to uh, clear a building, for example. Um, our interest was less on GPS navigation, though we did a lot of that. Uh, and much more on visual, what's called visual scene understanding. So using computer vision, deep learning, uh, what are called knowledge graphs to build a entity representation. So look out into the scene, the field of view, identify the parts of the scene that are essentially pertinent to the problem and reason around the space. So if this is a kitchen, does it have a sink? Does it have the things that make up a kitchen? If I'm trying to find a, a small child in a burning house, um, 
First, I might look for bedrooms. I might recognize that children hide under beds, so I might look for beds. Trying to solve that reasoning process was the first class citizen in our problem. Um, that took us, I mean, that was really trying to answer the big problem. Uh, and so it wasn't until a more recent project with uh, AFSOC, uh, Special Operations Command from the Air Force and DARPA, where we were really able to pull all of that into a full navigation suite, where we do both the planning, the navigation, and the onboard reasoning. And it's safe to assume that you just mentioned AFSOC, you mentioned DARPA. It's safe to assume at the moment most of your work is being done in the defense uh, vertical, let's call it. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, uh, the defense folks have been keen to build out the next generation of technologies. And so there's a lot of commercial interest for, let's say, doing uh, photogrammetry, uh, agricultural sensing, remote sensing in that way. Um, some of these things are not necessarily urgent or life-threatening, whereas the problems for the military are both urgent and life-threatening and therefore are willing to invest. Those folks are willing to invest ahead of the curve. Uh, they're also a lot of times in a denied uh, comms or denied uh, GPS environment. Uh, and so they have a really a, an acute set of needs. Now, um, yeah, I think actually that things like uh, uh, helping first responders and traffic situations, like, you know, a, a, let's say, God forbid, a, a car wreck or hunting for suspects in a, uh, after a crime or a murder. I think that those, especially in congested areas, will suffer some of the same issues. Uh, the need for very low latency, maybe the need for denied GPS, uh, certainly the need for real-time decisions. Um, but until we get pat until we get to those proof points, I think it's going to be hard for the commercial sector to see that. So most of our, in fact, all of our funding so far has been at the kind of the deep edge of defense, where they're really willing to invest ahead of the curve. Um, the benefit for us is that uh, you know they are building out our product portfolio for us, and so we're actively looking for partners. Uh, to take that commercial, uh, and we'll be we'll have our first product, quote unquote, ready for uh, the end of this year. It'll basically provide a, a number of the Skydio capabilities, uh, except it'll have this onboard reasoning capability that I described, and can go into more detail. Um, next year, we'll have much more of the more traditional ISR and T uh, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, and targeting. Um, and that's especially good for cases where you're uh, in these cluttered environments and you need to. Uh, reason about the environment, work together collaboratively, uh, maybe multiple vehicles, and then also collaborate with a, a human operator without having him or her to have to actually remote control the vehicle. That's the goal ultimately, is to, not, is to take the human, maybe not out of the loop fully, but at least put them on the loop. You mentioned before, uh, if something happens to take away from the original mission, all right, then it's able to... Uh, you know, air quotes, go into a side quest, complete the side quest, and then go back to complete the original mission. Now, first of all, what are the triggers that launch this, uh, let's call it the departure from the original mission? And let's say if there are two triggers that appear simultaneously, how does the system determine which side quest to embark on? Great questions. So let's imagine that there is a traffic uh, uh, accident, um, and that there's an intersection uh, in, a, in a downtown area. And the first responders need to get there very quickly to ascertain, uh, 
are there life and death situation? Is there someone in harm's way? Uh, and if so, what's the urgency of the situation? So we might have drones released from drone in a box. Uh, that would be kind of a separate solution. Those drones deploy from a neighboring area uh, ahead of the response team, the humans. Uh, the drone's high-level mission is just to go and orbit the area. Maybe let's say the kind of the locale of the accident is known. Um, once the drones get to the area, their goal is to build the situational awareness. And so what we're enabling is a whole set of uh, uh, essentially behaviors. I mean, this is what traditional folks do is they build these playlists. In this case now, the playlist is much more like a natural language interface. It's more like um, if you see someone who's on the ground and in a state of distress, um, this is a trigger. If you see someone uh, who is uh, bleeding and this is what bl uh, like blood on a face looks like and all of the kind of atomic level detections that a neural network might provide a person uh, that kind of thing. I mean, those are sufficient, or I should say, those are necessary, but not sufficient to really identify, is this person in a state of distress? So we build a reasoning, a symbolic layer on top of the neural net detections that say, yes, I see a person. Yes, this person is prone on the ground. Uh, yes, this person has portions of their face covered in red. Um, this person maybe is screaming, making these kinds of sounds. So, I mean, on the one hand, building that logical framework allows us to describe much more complex conditions for the trigger, uh, which would then allow the drone to break out of the orbit, go down, do a much closer inspection, focus its energy on a portion of the area, deliver video, maybe even some kind of uh, relay back home. I mean, there's lots of kind of then micro uh, uh, plans that you could do or micro missions that you could do. Um, so, I mean, that really is what the one kind of example for that. Your question about how do you balance out and even maybe prioritize against multiple triggers, that's actually a great one. And that's the AFSOC problem that we're working on now. And so in that case, it's, hey, I have a number of different kinds of threats. I'm tracking bad guys in a village uh, and there are different kinds of bad guys. Maybe I have friendlies and I'm not sure if the friendly is a bad person. You know, that kind of, there's this kind of uh, nuance in the problem. Uh, and so in that case, the goal then is, uh, to do exactly what you'd like a human operator to do, which is to enable a conversation between the drone, the brain on the drone, and the human, so they can have a conversation about, well, what are the what are the nuances? Um, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy's the brain on the drone. What do you see out there? You know, well, uh, well, AFSOC team lead, you know, he's kind of red and he's kind of blue. Like, I'm not sure if he's bad or good. Um, but it looks like he's holding something in his arms and it looks like it's metallic. It like, it kind of, it's like 80% gun if I, at the atomic level of the detection, you know, and you'd be like, okay, well, um, does he have any children? Does he care? Is he maybe, is it a child? Is it, or, or is he walking with a woman? Is it possible that it's a rake or another piece of metal that would be contextually relevant and so potentially less of a threat? So there's multiple ways that we're trying to get at the prioritization or the ambiguity question. Some of it is in the explainability to kind of unpack what the drone is seeing in a way that the human can ask questions and do dialogue. And then part of it also is in a way of just evaluating what is the unpacking. So what, what is the drone seeing and what are the pieces that it determines to be relevant? How deep can that rabbit go? Uh, and can the drone make more and more inferences given more and more context? You mentioned before ISRNT, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, and targeting. And what you've mentioned just now, your drone that says, listen, 
He kind of looks like a bad guy. He's carrying something. There's 80% the gun. There's no kids in the area. So it's not that far of a draw or, you know, it's really easy to reach the conclusion that what you're basically doing is enabling hunter killer drones, so to speak. So what we're trying to do is shorten the kill chain so that in this case for AFSOC, uh, so that the decisions are not made autonomously, but rather uh, prioritized past the chaff. So you want to separate the wheat in the chaff so that the human operator can make that decision herself. Right now, if you're flying uh, an MQ-9, uh, like a Reaper, uh, one of these large drones uh, from halfway across the world, you know, the latency could be uh, many, many seconds. Uh, there could be difficulty tracking. It might take uh, some on-the-fly analytics to even understand what the situation is on the ground. So our goal is to provide the relevant information at the right time at the right place. Uh, that's not necessarily a hunter-killer drone, but what it is, is is a much better team member. Uh, and so that's the phrasing. Uh, it's not so much to make autonomous killers, it's to make much better teammates. Uh, and the way we understand teammate is in building trust and explainability when we have intelligence. Uh, you know, whether or not they pull a trigger or they do search and rescue, and we're looking at both problems. We do the search and rescue problem, um, and we do the kind of, and we do the kind of the search and destroy problem. And they're actually roughly the same problem. Uh, but really the un, the difficult part is trying to figure out ways to have someone or something explain the world that they see to you so that you trust what they're saying and that you are willing to make a decision based on it. Now, another question, uh, as you just mentioned, uh, another team member, all right, or rather a better team member, I think is uh, how you used it. Your system is basically a package that is attached or rather installed onto existing drones, correct? Yeah, so we have two flavors. One, and they're, we're, uh, both would run, for example, on an NVIDIA uh, uh, piece of hardware. We're actually going to migrate to Qualcomm for the marketplace uh, later this year. But for now, uh, imagine that the, back, the background solution is going to be uh, an NVIDIA NX running on your drone, so a credit card size uh, GPU. Um, and we can either put that into a pod that get mounted onto a drone, or if you have enough compute on board your drone, our software would run there uh, side by side in a Docker container. All right. So the reason I was asking is because when you mentioned before a better team member and you mentioned earlier the latency on the Reaper drone, all right? The, so I was wondering what exactly is the range that we're looking at? If you're, is this something that is being deployed in the field with a team or is this something that's being deployed uh, from a headquarters or from a control center further back behind the lines or how exactly what what's the vision for the deployment of a drone with your system on it great um, okay well so just so we're all on the same page the goal would be to have the software running embedded on these devices so that in principle even in a comms denied area the master-slave link could be broken, ground control could be broken, and the drones could go off and still do their missions without communications with the human. That's the, kind of the goal. 
And in fact, what we the AFSOC problem we're doing is not only just to do the red blue team problem, but to have two or more drones working together where they send little graphs, little knowledge, little chunks of knowledge graphs back and forth to each other to describe the scene. So that there's some maybe comms denied back home, but at least if you have comms between the drones, that's still sufficient. Um, okay, so while that is the goal, actually right now we're working with the blue UAS solutions. Uh, so we have a, what are called micro hard radios. These are uh, encrypted, uh, potentially encrypted mesh network radios. And we're actually working with one of our partner companies, Autonodyne, that has a ground control solution. Um, and we've generalized it to mission planner and queue ground control as well. Um, but, you know, we usually work within a kilometer, two kilometers. Um, but that's all for demos. Uh, the real, uh, the real uh, communications and backhaul is up to the is up to the partner that we work with, uh, because again, we're trying to write the software that runs on board the drone, and we are uh, we're passively inspecting the the data stream that comes from the ground control to the drone, and in the case where the data stream says like, hey, this is the these are the like the local missions you want to look at, i.e., there's uh, if there's someone hurt on the ground, I want you to go in and take a closer look. That's the kind of time when our system says like, hey, I'll wake up and I'll do my thing. And the moment there is something, I'll take over. Otherwise, I'll let you command me from afar. Um, and so we're really trying to slide in kind of transparently in between the ground control master slave and the autopilot uh, layer that the that the master ground control would normally control directly. And given what you mentioned that you expect the drones in the system to be able to work even if the connection with the ground control has been cut off. What about drone-to-drone -drone communications? How does that work? Is that enabled as a default? Is that something that you're currently looking to support? Is that something that it would be nice to have? Yeah, I think that's something that uh, we're expecting to support by the end of this year with these uh, micro-hard radios. Uh, we, we, we do them in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion right now uh, so that the ground control is just one more member of the network. So in the, in the situation that the ground control drops out, uh, each of the individual drones can still talk to one another. If you had an LTE network, uh, for example, or if you had a, you know, like a, a traditional Wi-Fi or other RF, uh, maybe you could have actually laser, uh, you know, lasers. Um, in each of those cases that comes available, you know, that would, you would just uh, default to one of those cases. Again, we're trying to not boil the ocean. Uh, it's so easy to try to boil boil everything. So we're really focusing hardcore on making decisions at the edge, building these visuals, doing the visual scene understanding problem and linking that to navigation and planning, uh, and then doing it in a way that's just a Docker container that anybody can load on their drone. Uh, that in itself, I mean, it's a it's a 10-person, five-year problem. Basically, the underlying AI or machine learning or the deep learning or the neural networks or whatever you want to call it, whatever is being used to power, control, and run the system. Is that all in-house that created from scratch? Are you Did you come with some sort of foundation from somewhere? Or are you borrowing on something uh, uh, that's existing already? Uh, how did that all come to be? Great question. Yeah. So actually, that's we have a, a fundamental patent in that area from 2019 uh, that basically merges or integrates uh, symbolic reasoning uh, from what are called semantic knowledge graphs. Uh, semantic knowledge graphs are 
um, hey, these are the things in the world. This is the these are the relationships that those things can have between one another. These are the ways I can act on those things. That's a semantic way. Semantics meaningful. That is the way that we kind of uh, build a schema for the what we see and how we see it. Um, so the patent kind of merges symbolic reasoning and inference on symbols with the deep neural networks, which are really black boxy kinds of. Uh, you know, you feed in the world and you get kind of a thumbs up or a thumbs down or maybe a uh, like a percent likelihood. <clears throat> and so in this way, what we've done is we've used the neural networks to do classification and detection at the atom level. So, uh, you know, this is 80 percent a person. All of the things that the atop, that the symbols uh, manipulate, that our reasoning engine manipulates, um, those symbols are described and detected by the neural networks, but the actual reasoning engine sits on top of that stuff. And it, and it can be driven by an expert model. So you could come in and say, you know what, I know that men and women usually walk down the street together. So if I see a man and another man, maybe I can as ascribe some certain uh, different relevance to that. Uh, or maybe if I see a man with a, a piece of metal over his shoulder and he's walking away from something that looks like a field, uh, and it's five o'clock that has some kind of symbolic relevance. Maybe he's a farmer. He's not necessarily a guy walking with an AK-47 over his shoulder. You know, you can basically build these much higher levels of meaning uh, in the logic and the symbols than you can with the neural networks. Um, and that's what that patent provides us. And then we spent the last two or three years essentially building that out into, into C++ code uh, and, then, and then injecting that code into the navigation and planning problem. Uh, each of those pieces actually was a lot more difficult than we expected. Uh, and, and as I said, that's why we're kind of like finally coming to the point now where we have uh, a working solution and we'll be able to productize it um, this year. Once you reach the end goal, you've got the solution that you can uh, productize, you can sell. You've been doing most of your work at the moment, like you said, with the military, the defense industry. How do you make this transition to the civilian world? So part, I, I think... That part, it's, I think it's going to come down to partnerships and leveraging the user stories and use cases that our, our commercial uh, partners have. Um, part of that is, for example, that uh, cell phone towers, uh, uh, first responders, uh, infrastructure problems. There's a litany of things that the commercial market is trying to explore. And I think they're trying to suss out what is the most kind of dirty, dull and dangerous uh, problem set. Uh, which will drive spending, I mean, for lack of a better term. Um, so, you know, in some ways, I'm still trying to learn what is that commercial marketplace uh, because the landscape that we've been playing in has been defense. Now, I think that there's actually a whole lot of value to be generated and earned in defense for us in particular, but for a lot of people generally. So I think that even if the commercial marketplace kind of... Uh, uh, I think if there's if they're laggards to the to the value that drones create, even in the like as we've seen in the uh, Ukrainian war, I, I mean I think there's there's a lot of uh, of opportunity um, and technology that's opening people's eyes, and that's going to be a feedback loop. As people start to see what things can be done, they'll start to try new things, and those will generate new things that can be done, and you'll see more and more and more. So when we go into the commercial landscape, I'm really hoping that that's going to play out too. I think it's very early in that space. So this idea of, uh, for example, flying from one bridge to another bridge or one cell phone tower to another tower, those are nice global missions. Uh, but unless you've actually flown each of those uh, 
maybe you would be hard pressed to know exactly what to look for, but you could write a set of expert conditions or you could train a system to, to know what uh, deterioration looks like or what uh, rust and those kinds of things, structural failure, the imminent failure looks like. And then the drones could break out of their global uh, uh, navigation to kind of zoom into a cell phone tower or to a bridge pylon and look for and do a quick inspection and then jump onto the next. So whenever you're resource constrained or time constrained, I think you'll see some real benefit there. Um, but I think we're very early in that game, honestly. And I think in AI, I think it's going to drive, I, I think people are going to be revolute. I think their minds will be kind of opened up to what uh, AI can provide in just the same way as the smartphone did. Uh, and we're now seeing that the smartphone, even though we call it a smartphone, really its role as a phone is, is almost trivial. Uh, I mean, it really is so much more. It's a 5% phone and 95% way of, you know, uh, experiencing life. Um, I think AI at the edge is going to provide the same solutions. All right. I hear what you're saying. And now just one more question before we go. And this is a question I ask all my guests. And I feel that you really have a unique uh, approach to this. All right. What I'd like to know is what's your view, your vision of the drone industry two, five, 10 years down the line? How do you see things shaping up? <clears throat> you know, when I first got into the space uh, five or six years ago, I think people envision drones solely as flying cameras. Uh, and at that, they weren't even uh, autonomous systems, really. They were all just remote controlled cameras. Um, when I, so I think when, when we start to understand what partnership and AI at the edge can provide, i.e. when it starts to look like a junior uh, employee or a, or a helper, someone who can actually be your partner or your assistant, um, and not ask, not be a dumb Alexa, but really be um, maybe a first year, you know, kind of out of school, learning the ropes and you have to kind of guide him or her. You know, that's the game that we're looking for. So I think in the next five or 10 years, we'll see AI on its own through both neural networks, but really I'm hoping symbolic and what are called neurosymbolic, the fusion of the two uh, neurosymbolic solutions. Um, I think that AI is going to become much more ingrained in our daily lives because it starts to become much more of a fruitful and dependable assistant. Now, you put that assistant on an autonomous vehicle and then it's, I mean, all hell's broke loose because then you can really do things that you could never have done before. So I would say that my vision of the, of the landscape in five and 10 years is driven by my vision for what real AI capabilities look like in five or 10 years. And I think that will be... Uh, uh, you know, intelligent systems that we can talk to and feel comfortable and trust, uh, maybe not yet fall in love with. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if my kids in 20 or 30 years, you know, fall in love with their operating systems. Um, so, you know, I'm not putting it past them, but I would say in five or 10 years, certainly I would I would expect uh, trustworthy robotics and autonomous systems just by virtue of the AI advancing. All right. That sounds interesting. Thanks for sharing with us uh, that vision. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining me on the podcast today. So thank you, Gareth. Thanks, Ben. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you on our next episode of Drone Source. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by Elsight. Elsight helps drone companies operate beyond the visual line of sight, 
overcome regulatory challenges, and scale business through integrated connectivity solutions. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in our next episode of DroneSource.